Well, good morning, everybody. Hopefully you're well wherever you are and safe wherever you are this morning. Uh, man, what can we say? The last seven to ten days have in many ways been unbelievable, something most of us would have never anticipated. And here we are in this environment together, again on a Sunday morning together. Thank you for watching. If we haven't met, my name's Drew. If you've just somehow come along our liturgy and our kind of our gathering this morning and hit play, well done. Uh, you're along for the ride with us. This is new for us as well, obviously. And I know it's kind of cliche now, but it's true. I think cliches are kind of true. These are unprecedented times. And so thanks so much for being with us together this morning. And we're just sorting this out kind of along the way as we journey in this online experience and as we journey together. Um, you know, I'm excited about today. I think, you know, amidst, amongst everything that we have going on in our lives, for some of you, you've been working from home and maybe like me, you have four kids and everybody is just like has cabin fever and you're kind of stuck at home. You're working from home. Others of you we know, and let's be real, you don't know what your job situation may look like over the next little while with the chaos that's going on. Uh, I hope over the next couple of minutes, over the next few minutes, as we hopefully worship together, that it would be more than just a dude talking into a microphone. It would be more than just some information downloaded on you, but ultimately this would be a time where we could experience the love of God together. So that's my hope. Again, we're coming from all sorts of different situations. And yet I just believe God is going to meet with us this morning. And I just hope that you're open to that. Now, I'll just say this. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, thanks for listening in. We put our podcast up every single week. Normally, it's just the teaching. But for the next number of weeks, while we're in isolation like this together, we're going to put the whole liturgy on and that you can experience those different things. So thanks as well to you guys that are listening in. Now, for today, here's where we're headed. One of the things I've, and I've already said, I don't just want to be just talking into a camera, uh, but one of the things we want to do and we've tried to do and we will continue to do over the next number of weeks as this is our avenue as far as gathering together is we want to involve people. And so this morning I think is going to be really beautiful. In a minute, our friend Hillary, a part of our community, is going to come and she's going to lead us in our, our psalm for this morning. If you've never been to a gathering at Praxis, every single week at Praxis, we read the psalms together. And so Hillary from her living room is going to come and lead our community through Psalm 23, which is such an appropriate, I think, psalm for this moment and this time. And so she's going to come in a couple minutes. Then we're going to enter into a short time of music together. I think I said last week, this is a little unique and maybe even weird for you because some of you are sitting in your PJs or your Snuggie. <laughs> you have your coffee with you. Uh, it's very relaxed. And so it may be odd to enter into a time of music. I totally get that. I, we understand that. But maybe as this song plays, you could just in some ways, absorb it. You know what I'm saying? Just take it in. Uh, we got pictures last week of other people worshiping along and we encourage you, uh, that may look different for different people, but we're gonna enter into a time of music. Then what we're gonna do is throughout these number of weeks where we're gonna be online together, we've actually asked people to share their stories. So every week, we're gonna have some time together where somebody from our community is just gonna share about the transforming work of God in their lives. I think back in the day, we used to call this kind of testimony time or whatever, but we're going to have somebody come each week. And this week, our friend, Corrine Whitney, many of you guys know Corrine and Jeff, just an amazing couple, a part of our community. Corrine's going to come from her living room, from her home, and she's going to share her story of God's redeeming work in her life. And 
listen, I just know it's going to be an encouragement to, to all of us. It's going to be beautiful. Then we're going to have a three or four minute Bible story for the kids. So if you have kids watching or you want to grab your kids, at some point in our liturgy this morning, we're going to have a three-minute, four-minute Bible story on today's text, which is actually John chapter 9. And so if you want to open your Bible or fire on your phone, we're going to be in John chapter 9 today, but uh, the kids will have a little uh, video for them that will help introduce this. Then the Kanikis are going to come from their house, which is amazing, and they're going to help lead us and read us that text, which is John 9 again and they're going to help us it's long today's text again as we're in lent we're taking it from the lectionary is a pretty long text it's actually the entire chapter of john chapter 9 so they're going to come and help us and read that and then we'll just close our time with some teaching together for lent and uh, kind of close our gathering in time with that today so that's what's on the docket. Hopefully you'll hang in with us. Again, thanks for checking out the different means in which we're doing this. And uh, we're learning all, all together kind of along the way. Now, with that said, I would love before Hillary comes to read the psalm that we would just, I could pray for us in our community. I could pray peace over us. So why don't you pray with me? Father, such crazy times, crazy days. And yet, God, we are these people that hold on to you, to your truth, to your peace, to your love. And I just pray that you'd come right now in such an extraordinary means that you would just come and you would work among us. As we watch, as we listen, as we lean in, would you just have your way among us, I pray. God, I pray for those who just need an extra sense of peace. May we be these countercultural people that lean into your way and know, God, that you're good. No matter what's unfolding all around us, you, God, you are our peace. So I pray that you come by your spirit now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hillary's going to lead us. Let's, uh, as Hillary says this and speaks this out, why don't we, as the slide is also on the screen, read this out together this morning as we read. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness Hey everyone, it's Corrine Whitney and uh, Drew asked me if I would share my faith walk with you today. And uh, you know one of my favorite things in church is baptisms and hearing people's testimonies. Everyone has a story. And of course, I love the super dramatic ones where people have left, you know, a life of addiction or crime or, you know, <laughs> crazy things like that. And um, that's not my story. <laughs> it's nothing like that at all. But I pray that it can still encourage someone. And I give all credit to my praying grandma and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I was raised in the most Christian, non-Christian home, if you know what I mean. My parents are wonderful, generous people. I'm blessed to still have them. Um, ours was the house people came to to play cards and drink coffee, just to visit and, 
and really I think to be encouraged because no one left our house not feeling great about life. Um, we did not go to church, however. The only time I remember going to church would be for a couple of family weddings and that would be it. My little grandma, however, who lived 14 plus hours away from us when I was younger, um, she would send me occasional gifts. She would send me, um, you know, Bible stories. Um, she sent me a cool pen with Jesus on it one time and a bookmark with a verse. And I still have a little tiny picture frame. It's like this big of, of Jesus. It's on my dresser today. Um, just little things for, you know, to let me know that God loved me. It was the only way she knew how to have some kind of influence over me um, from such a distance. And I loved those little gifts so much because I, I did believe in God. I just didn't know him. I had tons of questions, but nowhere to go to get answers. Um, as a teen, I went to youth with some, with some close friends and truly it was more for social reasons than anything. And the amazing music, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith were coming onto the scene, uh, you know, long before most of your guys' time, but I loved it. Um, just didn't get to know Jesus at all. And then Jeff and I got married and had our first little girl. And it's funny how having a child has you evaluating your life. And, you know, we were ordinary people. Um, we had a good life. We didn't have any drugs. We, you know, we weren't dire straits, just ordinary people. Um, but it occurred to us after having Kayla, uh, especially after the fact, that this was an incredible miracle to have a child. And now we're responsible for her upbringing. And we wanted to do a great job. And we really felt like God needed to be a part of, of, of her story too. And so we decided we needed to go to church. We went for a while, um, but it, we never got planted there. Fast forward 10 years, three more kids and a new career. And I could pinpoint four moments that were really pivotal pivotal in my faith walk. Um, the first one was actually a course that I took because of my work and my kids. <laughs> you, you, you can imagine with four kids, we had some chaos going on and I'm trying to run a business and focus was always a challenge. So this course called the Power of Focus came up and one of the things they, they helped you do was set some goals um, and they set goals in seven areas of your life one being spiritual goals. And I remember thinking, huh, I've always wanted to know God better. Where am I going to get to know God? I need to go to church. And so I wrote down on my um, goals that I wanted to go to church a couple times a month. Next thing that happened is also job related. I'm out on an appointment with a young guy that I'm training one night and we're sitting down with one of the pastors from his church. And you know, we're, we're done really the official part of the appointment. We're just visiting and getting to know each other. And I will never forget this moment ever. Pastor Stu, who is the kindest, most sincere, gentlest soul, looks at me with his crystal clear blue eyes and he looks at me right in the eye and he says, Corrine, God loves you just the way you are right now. It's like, wow. I was completely overwhelmed, totally welled up, super emotional, have no idea what's happening, but it was a very powerful moment. 
And you remember those four kids? Well, I sent two of them to camp with their friends one summer. Yes, it was a Bible camp. And later I discovered it was also known as bridal camp. That's where my oldest met her husband. Well, anyway, those two kids came home from camp and guess who they met at summer camp? Jesus. So they came home and they said, Mom, we need you to take us to church. So we had, um, like so many people in North America in particular, um, we had gone to church off and on after 9-11 happened. Nothing like crazy crises like we're currently in, again, to have you evaluating life and what's important. Anyway, we found this church that had the most incredible music. Oh my gosh, it was outstanding. And we did start to go. And then the fourth thing that happened was Hagawaga moved in two doors down from our house. Hagawaga was also known as Diane, our children's pastor at this church we had started attending. I don't believe it was any coincidence that she moved in two doors down. She wrote powerful children's stories, um, a, a series of books uh, around a little boy named Seeker. Guess who he was seeking? Anyway, we're gathered around our kitchen table one day. Uh, Jeff, the kids, Diane and I, we're chatting and um, asking her questions about church and really just getting to know each other better. And she knew that all the kids knew Jesus at this point. She looked right at me and asked if I was ready to accept Jesus. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm like this, this is such an easy decision. That's it. I just need to say yes. I'm ready to accept Jesus in my life. Well, you know he'd been knocking at the door for years and years. My little grandma had been praying her whole lifetime for all of her grandkids, and it just took this amazing woman, this beautiful soul, sitting at my kitchen table to say, "Hey, are you gonna answer the door?" I'm so glad I did. It was one of the best decisions, the best decision of my life. Um, that amazing lady passed away a couple of years ago. And you know, they live streamed her funeral because she'd impacted so many families around the globe. Can you imagine? That's, that's the kind of life I want to have, to have impact on, on people. Um, anyway, a few months after she asked that big question, it was actually Valentine's Day of the following year. And uh, Jeff and a good friend of ours uh, baptized myself and our four kids in the tank at our church. And uh, that was the beginning of the most amazing journey of my life. And I am forever grateful to my praying grandma and the amazing Hagawaga. And we lived a good life, but it could never be a great life without Christ. So I am so grateful. John 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. Verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind. His disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused him to be born blind? Was it his own or his parents' sin? Jesus answered, His blindness has nothing to do with his sins or his parents' sins. He is blind so that God's power might be seen at work in him. As long as it is day, we must keep on doing the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light 
for the world. After he said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made some mud with the spittle. He rubbed the mud on the man's eyes and said, Go and wash your face in the pool of Siloam. This name means sent. So the man went, washed his face, and came back seeing. His neighbors then, and the people who had seen him begging before this asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? So the man himself said, I am the man. How is it that you can see now? They asked him. He answered, The man called Jesus, made some money, rubbed it on his eyes, and told me to go to Salem and wash my face. So I went, and as soon as I washed, I could see. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he answered. The Pharisees investigate the healing. Then they took the Pharisees, the man, the man who had been blind. The day that Jesus made the mud and cured him of his blindness was a Sabbath. The Pharisees then asked the man again how he had received his sight. He told them, he put some mud on my eyes. I washed my face and now I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, the man who did this cannot be from God, for, for he does not obey the Sabbath law. Others, however, said, how could the, a man who is a sinner perform such miracles like this, like these? And there was a vision among them. So the Pharisees asked, asked the man once more, you say he cured you of your blindness. Well, what do you say about him? He is a prophet, the man answered. The, Jew, the Jewish authorities, however, were not willing to believe that he had been blind. He had been blind and could now see until he, until the, they called his parents and asked them, is this your son? You say that he was born blind. How, how is it then that he can see now, now, that he can now see? His parents answered, we don't know that our, um, he is our son and we know that he was born blind, but we do not know it, how it, it that um, he is now able to see, nor do we know who cured him of his blindness, asked him. He is old enough and he can answer from for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities who had already agreed that Anyone who said he believed that Jesus was the Messiah would be um, expelled from the uh, synagogue. 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 
That is why his parents said he is old enough. Ask him. Verse 24. A second time they called back the man who had been born blind and said to him, Promise before God that you will tell the truth. We know that this man who cured you is a sinner. I do not know if he is a sinner or not. But the man replied, But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. What did he do to you? They asked. How did he cure your blindness? I have already told you, he answered, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Maybe you too would like to be his disciples. They cursed him and said, you are fellows, you are that fellow's disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for that fellow, however, we do not even know where he comes from. The man answered, What a strange thing that is. You do not know where he comes from, but he cured me of my blindness. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He does listen to people who respect him and do what he wants them to do. Since the beginning of the world, nobody has ever heard of anybody who, give, who gave sight to, to a person who was born blind. Unless this man came from God, he would not have been able to do this thing. They answered, you were born and brought up in sin, and you are trying to teach us? And they expelled him from the synagogue. Spiritual blindness. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Tell me who he is, sir, so that I can believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have already seen him, and he is the one who is taking, who is talking with you now. I believe, Lord, the man said, and knelt down before Jesus. Jesus said, I came to this world to judge, so that the blind should see, and those who see should become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and asked him, Surely you don't mean that we are blind too? Jesus answered, If you were blind, then you would not be guilty. But since you claim that you can see, this means that you are still guilty. All right, well, this is a pretty radical and I would say beautiful story uh, from the Gospel of John in chapter 9. And I think there's tons to draw out and, and kind of unpack from this particular text. And these stories are just so revolutionary in the way Jesus is coming and meeting people where they are. And we've been in the Gospel of John a little bit over the last little while as we prepare for Easter. If you don't know, we're in the season of Lent right now, which is a 40-day season preparing for Easter. And so we're, we're preparing our hearts. We're practicing the discipline right now of fasting. If you want to jump in with us on that, you can actually go to our website uh, at mypractice.church, and there's a whole spiritual discipline section there with all sorts of resources. And as we prepare ourselves, we're just seeing Jesus here really, in a lot of ways, unsettle the religious establishment of the day in that particular time and space. And it's kind of been beautiful to watch. Now, in this story, 
So much to unpack. I'm just going to draw out a few things that I think are really applicable for us, particularly in this moment in which we find ourselves a couple thousand years later. It is interesting that the disciples here seem to be shaped by a particular kind of karma-like idea around the idea of suffering. And what I mean by that is, it's just interesting how Jesus' disciples, who were ultimately first century Jews, had this karma-like idea around why this blind dude was suffering. If you read it again, John 9, verse 1, uh, we're not going to read the whole text, don't worry, but I just think as we draw this out, it's interesting. Verse 1, it says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man that was blind from birth. And just remember, if you were blind in this kind of day or had any kind of disfiguration or anything like this, being having this kind of condition from birth really meant in that day that you were kind of an outcast and pushed to the margins. And it's interesting the disciples thought in and through all of this. They say to Jesus, they ask him, Rabbi, Rabbi Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was uh, born blind? Kind of crazy because this actually shows you the particular worldview and mindset of these, these people, these disciples. They ultimately thought, okay, this guy is blind. He's at the gate here. He's begging. He's doing his thing. He's a blind man. And why is this? Is it his own sin or is it the sin of his parents? And I would imagine these disciples are waiting for Jesus to kind of respond with, well, this is, this, is, this is why this guy is suffering. And listen to what Jesus says, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, said Jesus. And listen, please lean in, listen to what Jesus says. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Whoa. This is happening in him so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus goes on, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him. I must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Wow. Crazy that Jesus is actually flipping on its head their particular worldview, their karma-like ideas. Like, okay, why is this guy suffering? And Jesus says, listen, this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus basically says that this is happening so that God's glory may be brought into light. That ultimately, even though we're going to learn that Jesus brings physical healing in this guy's life, that there's something so much bigger kind of happening. And this is completely countercultural to the way that these disciples thought this was going to unfold. And isn't it interesting, I would say, in a moment, even like what we're in right now, everybody kind of wants to point the blame. Why are things happening? You know, even political leaders want to point, point the blame one way or the other. And as we talk, even in this setting about suffering, oftentimes we want to look for somebody to blame. Why is this happening in my life or in that person's life? And I'll just say this, suffering, suffering is never good, but what God ultimately can do through suffering can be good and purifying and healing and redeeming. And ultimately, in suffering is the place, and I believe even now for our own moment, is the place where God does his best work. And so in trying, instead of trying to figure everything out like these disciples did, maybe we lean, need to lean into the reality that in brokenness and pain, and ultimately that's why I believe there's suffering in the world. I believe this is the kind of the biblical vision of why there's suffering in the world is because humanity's broken and separated from God. 
And now Jesus is in the, the, the business of drawing people to himself, this hopeful reality that God's at work. And it's so much bigger than, hey, did you sin or did you do this? Um, it's so much bigger than that. So Jesus finds this blind man. The disciples ask this question and ultimately he heals him. And it's unique. He spits in the mud. He rubs this mud in this guy's eyes. And this guy goes to the pool of Salome and he washes himself and he's completely healed. And this is beautiful, right? Like a guy, think of like, don't, I'm especially for those of us that are Sunday school kids like me, don't let like the flannel board from our past kind of overtake the reality of how beautiful and amazing this actually is that Jesus performs this healing. And this is amazing, right? Right? Well, not for some people. It's interesting as the story unfolds and as these guys have read for us that the Pharisees actually begin a little bit of an investigation around why and who would perform a particular healing like this. And it's interesting, as they drill this guy who is now seeing, he's been blind from birth and now he's seeing, the guy, the blind guy actually responds with this guy This guy from God did this for me, performed this miracle. The Pharisees don't believe the story. They don't believe that this actually happened. So much so that they have to bring in the dude's parents. It's almost like an episode of Mari. You are, in this case, you are the son, the grown son of these parents, right? And have to kind of give testimony that, yes, this is our child. And I just wanted to rest on us that, You know, the Pharisees, who we've talked about a bit the last few weeks, this religious group, are kind of missing the point here. In a sense, they are unpleased that a guy who was blind from birth has now been healed. And I think it gets us to see the posture of the Pharisees' religion. These guys were the religious elite in the day. They were top of society. These guys were the ones that were your Bible scholars or teachers of the day. And here they are, and it's almost like their religion is overtaking the beauty and the wonder of somebody being healed by Jesus. It actually says, verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Because if you know from when these guys read the text here, Jesus performs this miracle on the Sabbath, which if you know, uh, deep in the roots of the Jewish people was that the Sabbath was a day of rest. And yet Jesus performs this beautiful miracle. And by the way, if you actually read through the Gospels, Jesus is always healing on the Sabbath. It's just what he does. He does his best work and some of his best healing on the Sabbath. And ultimately, the Pharisees see this as a sin. So much so, it goes on and it says, but others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So the Pharisees were divided. And it just shows us here that the Pharisees' religion had completely missed the heart of God. And this happens over and over in the Gospels. They were so honed in on the law to the letter of the law that they were actually missing God in flesh, God uh, among them in the life of Jesus. It's interesting that the guy who was blind, who would have been kind of ostracized and on the margins of, of society, is beginning to get and to see, like literally, see the work of Jesus. And yet the guys who should have known this the most were the ones missing it. 
And if you lean into the Gospels at any point, you begin to see that this is actually part of the story. This is how this rolls all the time. The people who should be getting it and understanding it in their heads and their hearts are the ones missing it. Now, if Jesus' disciples themselves had a karma-like attitude, remember, again, they're thinking, why is this guy blind? What did he do? What did his parents do? Has this been passed down? Is this like God's judgment? The Pharisees have their own karma-like view of the world. Certainly their idea of following the law was a good thing, but they had their own karma-like stuff. Listen, verse 27, read with me. He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. So this is the blind guy saying to the Pharisees who are drilling him, I've told you, you won't listen to me. He says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become to his disciples too? So the blind guy is literally saying to these Pharisees, I've listened, I've told you again and again, this is what's happened. Don't you want to be his disciples? Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple why we, sorry, are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And so once again, the Pharisees here are kind of given their street cred, their credibility as Pharisees under the law, under Moses. It goes on, verse 30, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this, the Pharisees replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out. Interesting what's going on here because we're beginning to see that the Pharisees had their own karma-like view of the world. First of all, this is somebody who was ostracized and kind of to the margins, and they are not picking up what has happened here and that this blind man truly has been healed by Jesus. And it's just interesting that even in the, the dialogue here between this man who's been healed, it's like he is the one that's getting it. Ultimately, what we see here, guys, please listen very clearly, is that the blind man sees. It actually goes on, and the blind man now, it's turning. He's not just seeing physically. Imagine being blind from birth and now being able to see, but something even deeper is happening within him. There's this transformation. Something is happening within him at his core to the point where it goes on and Jesus says to him, do you believe in the son of man? This term son of man was basically a moniker for the Messiah. Jesus is looking at this man and and saying, do you believe in the son of man? And this blind man who's now sees actually says to Jesus, Lord, I believe. And so yes, physical blindness was a thing in this particular story, but at an even deeper level, Jesus is getting to the heart of it all. Do you see, do you, are you beginning to understand that I am this one? I am the son of man. Now, this is mind-blowing. You may not think it's that mind-blowing, but I think this is crazy because actually, Uh, there's a number of gospels. There's four Greco-Roman gospels, which are the biographies of Jesus of Nazareth. And if you know anything about the gospels, they write similar stories. Sometimes they're syncing up their stories and telling the same story. Sometimes there's little variations to the same story. And then sometimes there's stories in the gospels that are exclusive to particular gospel writers. What's crazy is that there are other stories of people being healed. And actually in Mark chapter eight, there's another story where Jesus heals this blind dude at Bethsaida. 
And it's interesting because in the particular healing in Math, uh, Mark chapter 8, the healing is actually progressive. Again, we get a story of Jesus heal, healing a guy by spitting in his eyes and putting his hands on him. And it's interesting in Mark 8 because Jesus asked this man if he sees anything. And so Jesus spits in his eyes, rubs his hand on him, and, he, and the man says in return, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And then it happens again. Jesus puts his hands on the man and then eventually he is fully restored and fully healed. Now, what's the big deal with this? These stories of Jesus healing people all over the place. Well, it's kind of crazy because the writer Mark here is actually a genius because what he's doing is he's running two parallels together. What he's doing is he's taking the story of this blind man being healed and the progression of it, and he's aligning that with the progression of the disciples beginning to see that Jesus is the Messiah. Because if you read the text, in Mark chapter 7, the disciples are really having a hard time understanding who Jesus is. And Jesus actually, in Mark chapter 7, scolds them for their unbelief. Then, at the end of chapter 8, after this healing of this blind guy and the seeing of the trees in the whole story, Jesus actually gets affirmation from a guy named Peter that he is the Messiah. So you go from Mark chapter 7, he's scolding them for their unbelief, to Mark chapter 8, where Jesus or Peter is like, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And sandwiched in, betic- in between those two stories is this story of a progression of a man being healed. Now, why is this important? I think it's important because it is no mistake in the story. This story of the man being healed in Mark 8 from blindness is actually paralleling the story of the disciples. This is crazy. The blind man sees and he sees trees that look like people and then Jesus heals him again and he's fully restored. And what we see in the Gospels is that slowly but surely, the disciples now are beginning to have spiritual sight. Certainly they weren't born blind like these two dudes in these stories. But progressively, they're beginning to see that Jesus is the Messiah. This this is actually earth-shattering, mind-blowing that this is actually what's happening. And this is what I just, all all the jargon, all all that I've said here this morning, I just want you to catch this. This is what this story is about. This story is not just about a dude being blind and he can see. That is amazing. I think we need to celebrate that. A guy being healed that was blind from birth is pretty freaking unbelievable. But even deeper, these stories of these guys being healed, it's about spiritual sight. It's understanding that Jesus is the son of man and he is the true king. And just as these stories progress, both with the disciples and Mark, where they are having these seasons of unbelief and progressing towards this proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, now we see it in this dude, this blind guy in John chapter 9 where he's blind, and now he's saying, Lord, Lord, I do believe. I I do, but I see physically, but now I also see spiritually that I believe that you are the Messiah. And I think this just fits in with all that John is trying to communicate. I think it's beautiful. Listen, when you look at the different cultural signs that John begins to unpack here over these chapters in the gospel, you begin to see that there's always something under it, always. So, for example, The whole episode of water being turned into wine at the wedding is not just about wine. 
It's about the reality that Jesus is himself the new wine and that wine, that new wine will never run dry. Then you get to this guy named Cornelius and Jesus asks him to be born again, which is so weird even in our day to think about being born again physically. But we know that this is not about another physical birth. It's about a new beginning in Jesus. Jesus takes the cultural marker of wine. He is the living and new wine. Jesus takes the cultural marker in the Jewish people of this elder, this Pharisee named Cornelius and says, you need a new beginning, a new start. Then you get to the woman at the well. And just to remind us that the water at the well is not just about physical water. Certainly this woman needed a drink and needed to fetch water or whatever for her household. But this is actually way deeper. It's about Jesus who is the living water. That this is accessible to this woman in her time and space. And it's accessible to us. And just like the new wine... This kind of living water will not run out. Certainly, you have the physical water, but this is about spiritual water. This is about living water that will not run out. And I would just say this. In this particular story, this is not just about a blind dude who can't see and then all of a sudden can. Again, pretty amazing, incredible story. But it's way deeper than this. It's about spiritual sight. It's about spiritual sight. And this blind guy from birth could now see ultimately what the religious dudes of their day couldn't. Think about that for a second. The guy who was sitting at the gates all all the time, and again, ostracized and kind of diminished in that particular culture, is now getting it. And the religious leaders couldn't even understand and see that Jesus is Lord. And so, my friends, in and amongst all the chaos that we're experiencing these days, I think we just need to be reminded that there's always with Jesus something under it. Water, bread, a well, wine, religious people. Jesus is always offering us something better. And I just want to remind us that this is for all of us, for every single one of us. It's interesting, verse 39, just to close. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And that's actually what's happening in this particular story. The dude who really shouldn't get it and kind of be on the outside is the one that now sees spiritually. And the dudes who think they see and they think they understand and they think their religion is going to save them are actually the ones that in reality are blind. And this is what John is actually trying to show us. This, my friends, is about spiritual sight. For me, a kid who's been in the church a long time, this is still for me just as much, as much as it is for anybody else. It's for you. Maybe you're leaning into this. Maybe you're watching this this morning and there's just chaos in your world. You're looking around. You're like, man, what is going on? Um, Jesus offers you this same kind of life, his way, following him in his way. New life, living water. He is the new wine. He's offering this to you. And ultimately, I would say he's offering to th- this to us as a community together. He's offering us life. And it's interesting, along the way, Jesus is embracing people and calling people into his kingdom. And it's interesting that both religious, like people like the Pharisees, and irreligious people all have to come to the same conclusion with their life. That each and every single one of us needs a new beginning. That Jesus this morning is offering us spiritual sight. 
And my prayer is no matter where you're at in this whole journey, that you would just lean into that. Maybe for you this morning, it's just a moment and a time here in a couple seconds where you could just kind of cry out to God in your situation, in your moment, in your time, in your space, and ask him to give you spiritual sight. This is more than just about a guy who can't see physically. Jesus wants to give us spiritual sight today. And so let's be reminded of this, brothers and sisters, as we come to this, that Jesus is this one that is just ruffling feathers, turning the whole system on its head and giving us himself, giving us a way in what can look like miserable, horrible times. He's giving giving us himself. And so I just, my prayer is that you would lean into this this morning. Now, before we close, and just so thankful that you've been with us, um, just a couple of announcements. One is... Obviously, these are changing times for our church over the next number of weeks. We have uh, put out to everybody that we will be meeting particularly online on Sunday mornings for the next little while. We hope you can join in with us and uh, all, all these gatherings and these liturgies, these online liturgies will be on all of our different platforms and we hope you can join us. But the second thing is this, is this Wednesday, if you are on one of our teams that normally leads our gatherings on Sundays, whether that's uh, kids and youth or hosting and hospitality or you're, you're in our band or whatever, we want to invite you. We are actually going to have team night this Wednesday evening. Obviously, it's going to be virtual. So you will receive a link to join us virtually on Wednesday evening as we just take some time as we share about the future and some of the things we're anticipating and also talk about the different micro communities and ministries in our church that uh, we can continue to see grow and move forward. Now to close, uh, these are obviously challenging times. These are challenging days, but I also believe they're days of opportunity. Jesus is inviting you and I into life with him. And I just pray this morning that we would take him up on that. With that said, brothers and sisters, we are looking ahead and just believing for a beautiful week ahead. And as we do every single week, why don't we do this? Why don't we close our time by saying uh, a common prayer together? And let's just say this. It's going to be on the screen as we conclude our time together. Let's say it together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your saving, redeeming, and restoring work on our behalf. Lead us to live the life that you put on display in Jesus by the guiding of your Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for being with us, brothers and sisters. If you need anything, please reach out. We love to chat in any way. And we just believe the next week is going to be good as we kind of continue in this journey, this kind of this new journey as a community. We'll see you soon. Grace and peace.